0: This is Ham College, Episode 4, for April 30th, 2015. This episode of Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Out from the shack and into the sun, brighten your day with ICOM. to another episode of ham college i'm george i'm tommy and it's good to be back with you we've got uh, a, a nice show tonight we have even got some fruit in here
1: Yep. Yeah. uh well i already know we're not going to make fruit salad what we're going to do with it
0: no just pucker up because we've got a, a fun show coming okay. here tonight <laughs> sounds like an echo in here doesn't
1: it it does yeah
0: inside job <laughs> well let's talk a little bit about what we did last show you know we um uh, We talked a little bit about voltage. Is
1: that Count Volta? (laughs) Count (laughs) Volta. He looks like Count Volta, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't remember his first name. Alessandro.
0: Alessandro. Yeah. That was a tongue twister, wasn't it? It was. And we even brought out a voltmeter last time, the old Simpson here, and we did some experiments.
1: Yeah, a lot of people were impressed with that old uh, kind of vintage voltmeter.
0: You know, that's the most popular voltmeter that the world has ever known.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to pick one up at the Ham Fest next time if that guy's here with some more.
0: Yeah, they've held their value pretty good. This one was, I guess you'd say, remanufactured. It looked practically brand new. Mm-hmm. I think I paid 60 or $70 for it. Yeah, Which, you know, you can buy a digital meter much cheaper. But I just, I like having an analog meter and a digital meter both. What are we going to talk about tonight?
1: Well, it's kind of along the same vein as Voltage You're <laughs> That's a tongue twister, too. <laughs> Say that three times real fast. Yeah,
0: same vein as voltage.
1: Yeah. And uh, anyway, we're going to talk about batteries. While constructing a new railway system near the city of Baghdad in 1930, workers uncovered what appeared to be a prehistoric battery. The discovery was known as the Baghdad or Parthian Battery. This device is believed to be 2,000 years old. Wow. Battery was made of a clay jar filled with vinegar, an iron rod surrounded by a, c- a copper cylinder, and penetrated into the liquid. This device produced 1.1 to 2 volts of electricity. So it's a pretty neat device. Yeah, it is. Yeah, kind not of old too. Yeah, not all scientists believe the Parthian battery was a source of energy because no one knows what they did with the electricity that was made. It's possible that the battery was used for electroplating a layer of gold or other precious metals onto the surface of other materials. Nevertheless, it did produce electricity.
0: Yeah, you know, that's pretty interesting. I, have, uh, I, I didn't know anything about that until you looked it up and found this information.
1: Yeah, it's, pretty, it's really impressive. And I mean, that's a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, and they were doing that. Even if they did nothing but electroplating with it, that's
0: pretty impressive. But it still mm-hmm. takes electricity to Boy, do that. don't you wish your Dura cells would last that long. Yeah, no
1: kidding. <laughs> in 1749, Benjamin Franklin first used the term battery to describe a set of linked capacitors he used for his experiments with electricity. These capacitors were panels of glass coated with metal on each surface. These capacitors were charged with a static generator and discharged by touching metal to the electrode. Linking them together in a battery gave a stronger discharge.
0: So they weren't discharged by putting your tongue on them. No. Uh, or you, and you didn't
1: throw them to your friend after you charged them up either. They are a yeah. little big to throw.
0: They are a little big to throw. And, you know, they look vaguely familiar to me. I've, I've seen vacuum capacitors, you know, in glass yeah. and stuff. But, uh, yeah, he was using them for a battery, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: So last month we discovered Alessandro Volta, as we just saw. And how he was credited with the invention of the first battery in 1799, called the Voltaic pile, which was little more than a stack of copper and zinc discs separated by cloth soaked in brine. Hmm, that's actually pretty interesting that that it, thing actually generates
0: current. It doesn't even look like a. I don't know what it looks like. It doesn't look like it would be a battery though. No, I'm not hooking my handy talkie up to that thing. I'm not sticking my tongue on it either. No. <laughs> in
1: 1859, the French physician Gaston Plant I probably butchered that really bad. It's P-L-A-N-T-E. Invented the first rechargeable battery. It was based on lead acid, a system that's still used today. Battery technology has had a lot of advancements over the years. Some of the different types of cells are the Daniel cell, the bird cell, porous pot cell, gravity cell, pogendorf cell, grove cell, lead acid, nickel cadmium or NICAD, nickel metal hydride, or, and lithium iron, for just to name a few. Battery technology is constantly being improved. We have batteries now that have more capacity than we could ever have dreamed of in the past, and better ones are always on the horizon. Yeah,
0: those are classic there. Where did you find that? On the internets? On the Googles. On the Googles? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, those are pretty neat. I remember those Ever Ready batteries like that in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember the... and uh, the yellow. No. Yeah, the Rayovac. Uh-huh. I didn't know Regency ever made batteries. No. Or Philco.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was a pretty cool picture.
0: It was. So now we know a little bit about batteries. Yeah? You know, maybe we ought to do a project with batteries. That'd be good. And get, get primitive on it, even.
1: Are you going to stick your tongue to it?
0: I'm not going to stick my tongue to it, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll just have to see. You could stick your tongue to it.
1: Yeah, it might be tasty.
0: Might be tasty. (laughs) (laughs) Might not. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's have a message from ICOM now and and get set up to do a little experimenting here.
1: Sounds like fun.
0: Out from the shack and into the sun, brighten your day with ICOM's selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Step outside with ICOM's ID51A Plus digital dual bander. Features include free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, Near Me repeater function for D-Star as well as analog repeaters, and integrated GPS. Hit the road with ICOM's analog IC2730A mobile or the digital ID5100A with internal GPS. Both radios include optional Bluetooth capability for a hands-free operation, 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF, and a large backlit screen for high-contrast viewing. Get mobile with ICOM's IC7100 D-Star Radio, which provides multiband and all-mode communications, and an angled control head and touchscreen for user-friendly operation. For solid HF operation this season, try ICOM's IC7600. This rig offers advanced DSP technology and 3IF roofing filters, dual watch on the same band, and LED backlighting on an ultra-wide 5.8-inch display. Let ICOM brighten your day with their selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Make sure you visit ICOMAmerica.com slash amateur today for more information on ICOM's complete line of amateur radio products. Okay, and we're back, and as you can see, we've covered the table here with, with a this plastic queen, sheet. With a plastic sheet. That means things are gonna get messy. All right. Maybe.
1: Should I have brought eye protection?
0: Or? Maybe you might should have. You've Maybe. got a little bit of eye protection there. So here, we've got lemons. And this make is- lemonade. When you got lemons. There yeah, yeah. you go, you got any sugar? That's pretty big lemons too. I swear. No, I don't have any sugar. But, uh, it, you know, probably everyone watching the night has done this in high school, and hey, we're going to do it one more time. We haven't tried this yet, uh, so we're not exactly guaranteed that it's going to work. Okay. You know, this is uh, our, our first attempt at this. I've got three pieces of copper wire here from Romax. And I've got some galvanized nails. These are really long, but it's only galvanized nails that I had. Oh, you should have
1: said something. I have a whole bunch of them.
0: Did you? Okay. It, you know, you couldn't really use the bright, common nails. They, that's not galvanized. Right. I don't believe it is, anyway. But uh, the ones that are kind of dull are, are zinc-coated galvanized. So we're going to make batteries out of this. Like I say, we haven't tried it yet, so we're just going to have to kind of see how this goes. So, Tommy, there you go. (laughs) Kill it? Yeah. (laughs) Make a battery. All right. Here, get it on screen there.
1: Right through the heart.
0: Yeah. Look at that. And the distance that you separate these and how much of them you have inside the lemon there will affect the uh, current. They say it doesn't affect the voltage as much as it does the current. It smells good. Yeah, it does smell pretty good. Yeah, I got Mm -hmm. it all
1: over my laptop, too. (laughs) Did you squirt it over there?
0: Oh, man. Here, let's, let's do the third one, too. Now, it's a competition. Who's got the best battery? Bill, well, it
1: looks like you got it's two against fine. one, really.
0: Well, it, it, yeah, it kind of is. I'll split this one with you. You got a knife?
1: <laughs> Actually, I do.
0: All right, so copper and zinc, which one do you think is going to be the positive lead? I
1: think it's going to be the copper.
0: You think it's going to be the copper. Well, let's find out here. Pretty lucky guess, wasn't it? It was a very lucky guess. Look at there. We've got one. That's a one-volt lemon there. You know,
1: I did go to high school, too. Yeah? Even though it was in Alabama.
0: Yeah. I guess that counts. Yeah. All right. So I had one volt there. Let's let's see what... uh,
1: one on the dot, almost. Almost. Okay, what did you have before? 1.1? One 1.008, wasn't it? 1.01. Mm-hmm. 004. 004. Yeah. And you had 1.01 on the middle one.
0: Yep. And that's higher, really. Uh, what I was reading, you wouldn't get a whole volt out of here. You'd only get like half a volt. So let's see what you got here. Here, I'll help you out a little bit. Push it a little further down in the lemon. Okay, so we we've got about a volt on there. Well, I would not have uh, wouldn't have so, thought hang to. Hang on, just a minute. Come back. I'm trying
1: to fine tune my batteries. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh all right. Almost, but well, well, stick the nail, nail down. On. Did you stick the nail all the yeah, way? down? Yeah, that's what I just did. Oh, okay.
1: Well, it wasn't all the way.
0: I bet you got a volt now. Nope. Defective lemon. Where's the voltage coming from? Is it the acid in the lemon juice? Or is it the copper or well, the zinc? obviously it's a combination.
1: It's a chemical reaction between the three. Yeah. The acid and the copper and the
0: zinc. Well, what I read, and I don't have a good way to prove it. You, you might think that it's the acid that's that's where the voltage is coming from. It's actually the zinc. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You know, the, these nails are zinc plated, and they they used electrolysis to zinc plate them with. So there was a little voltage that went into getting that zinc on there. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like we are reclaiming that energy that they use to galvanize it now. So
1: what if we took uh, like copper strap and some kind of uh, zinc plated
0: strap and slipped it down there where there's more I think,
1: surface. I wonder if you'd get more voltage out of it. it
0: I think you probably would. Seems like you should. I think you'd probably get more current too. Yeah. I just don't happen to have any zinc strap though. You don't? No. Well, maybe I we'll do
1: that some other
0: time. I wasn't thinking ahead. But anyway, uh, yeah, approximately 1 volt a piece. That's so, pretty cool. There's ways we can connect these together to get even uh, more voltage. So, let's let's wire these in series. You said the copper was the positive. Yep. Oops.
1: Don't let the electricity run out of it.
0: I think I should have flattened it before we started. Are you
1: going to hook yours up over here?
0: I was going to let you uh Jumper that one. Oh, okay. Well we're doing copper is positive, so we're going from zinc on this one to copper on this one. We're we're putting them in series, not in parallel. There is one more for a jumper. And then one for the negative. Frank says, more surface, more current. Yep. yep.
1: We did these in school by slipping a nickel and a and a penny. Yeah. Just making a small slit. Of course, you got way less voltage than that. Yeah,
0: I've I've heard of doing it that way. All right, so let's look closely at what we've got coming off the copper post on this lemon. Sounds kind of funny, but here's a red wire. All right. Zinc post here, which is negative, to copper post on the one beside it. Same thing here. Zinc post over to copper. And then our negative is is right here on the zinc post of that. So what do you think the voltage is going to be when we've got all three of those connected in series? I don't see a spark.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be like point.
0: Well, let's see. Oh, it's more than two volts. We got to change the scale on our meter. 2.96. We, we got a little loss. Yeah, we got got a little loss in these jumper leads here. It's it's that lemon. I mean, I think that's where the, the whole problem is.
1: This this battery's a lemon, man.
0: <laughs> All right, so. Uh, Put three lemons in series, you can get almost three volts there.
1: Yeah. I wonder how long that would last. I don't know. Till the juice dried up?
0: Pro- or the corrosion probably. The zinc off the nail, at First, Well, let's see if we can actually do any work with that. I just happen to have LED here. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat.
1: So if you're stranded on a desert island and you needed to, you and the professor needed to power up the radio, man, this... So
0: tonight's questions are, the biggest portion of them are going to be on control of an amateur radio station. Okay. And by control, we mean the controls, Who, whoever's got control of that radio. Um, the radio itself could be... Way off somewhere else, and you 've got the controls remoted to to right where you are and you're you're operating it mm-hmm. or it and all could be right there together, but when we 're talking about the controls or control operator we 're talking about the transmitting end don 't really care about the receive end so much you don 't need a license to receive right, but you do to transmit so that's what our majority of the questions are going to be tonight and obviously we're going to have some on batteries too
1: yeah this uh the whole control operator thing is really important to understand it, it can is. be a little tricky but uh you really need to understand it to make sure that everybody's legal that's operating your station or if you're operating someone else's
0: exactly yeah and it the classes vary and and such mm-hmm. too yeah it is a little tricky as you say i was going over this stuff and uh yeah, a couple of them I didn't really uh, didn't really realize or had never thought about. First question, when is an amateur station permitted to transmit without a control operator? A, when
1: using automatic controls, such as in the case of a repeater.
0: B, when the station licensee is away and another licensed amateur is using the station.
1: C, when the transmitting station is an auxiliary station.
0: And D, never. Okay. So, who's going to take this one?
1: Yeah, I'll take it. Well, it's uh, an amateur station permitted to transmit without a control operator. When, the, when the using automatic control, such as the case of a repeater, that seems logical. When the station licensee is away and another licensed amateur is using the station, then you still have a control operator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or when the transmission station is on auxiliary station, I'm I'm going to go with A.
0: You're going to go with
1: A. I'm going to go with A.
0: Survey says never. never. Okay. That that is correct because even when it's under automatic control, like a repeater, you would think that was the answer. But there actually still has to be a control operator, and uh, it's going to be the guy who's call sign on the repeater. He's so if something needs to be done with the repeater, like it needs to be shut down because it's causing interference, that guy is assumed responsibility of being the control operator. He's the one that's responsible for shutting it down. All right. Yeah, that that makes
1: sense. But that that is a very
0: tricky one there. Yeah, these
1: these control operator ones, they are tricky, and it's important to to understand them and go back and review them from time to time as well,
0: obviously. Yeah. In the chat room, just to make you feel better, we did have uh, the the majority of the people said it was A. Yeah. Yep. And and the ones who were right said it was D. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The ones that were right said it was D, and everybody else said (laughs) A, huh? Yep.
0: Okay. That's pretty much it. Well, let's go on to the next question here.
1: Who may a station licensee designate to be the control operator of an amateur station?
0: It's A, any U.S. citizen or registered alien.
1: B, any family member of the station licensee. C,
0: any person over the age of 18.
1: D, only a person for whom an amateur operator primary station licensee grant appears in the FCC database or who is authorized for alien reciprocal operation.
0: That sounds painful.
1: That was a long one.
0: Yeah. So I guess this one's going to be uh, mine here. Mm-hmm. Who may a station licensee designate to be the control operator of an amateur station? Well, just right off, I know it's going to have to be somebody that's got a license. Yeah. So it's not going to be any citizen or registered alien. That's right. No. Nope. It's not going to be any family member of the station yes, licensee. No, that
1: does sense.
0: It's not going to be any person over 18. So it can only be D, only a person for whom an amateur or operator primary station licensee grant appears in the SEC database or who is authorized for alien reciprocal operation. D, that's, that's going to be it. it yeah. up. And everybody... Everybody said D in the chat room. Yeah,
1: that's the only one that made any sense on that one. It wasn't too tricky.
0: Well, let's go on to the next one. Who must designate the station control operator? A, the station licensee. B, the FCC. C, the frequency coordinator.
1: Or D, the ITU.
0: All right, this one's yours.
1: Okay. Who must designate the station control operator? it's not the ITU no and it's not the frequency coordinator no that doesn't even make sense it's only it's got to be a
0: and it is a the station licensee okay
1: give it up
0: give it up well let's go to the next one here when the control operator is not the station licensee who is responsible for proper operation of the station
1: a all licensed amateurs who are present at the
0: operation B only the station licensee
1: C only the control operator
0: or D the control operator and the station licensee are equally responsible
1: All amateurs who are present at the operation that's that's not that it That doesn't sound right No right. Only the station licensee That that doesn't sound right either Only the control operator that does, I mean, that's kind of what the whole thing's about. It's got to be D. The control operator and the station licensee are equally responsible.
0: And we had um, some C's and A's in there. We had a D. I think it's D. Yeah, it is D. You're correct. That is a tricky one though. Yeah, um, it
1: is. But if just... I give you permission to use my radio... I mean, you've got to operate it right, and, and then I've got to make sure that just anybody doesn't come in and use yeah. my radio. That
0: Yeah, I mean, what if your radio had been illegally modified and it was you know putting out 4,000 watts, and I come in and uh, used it? Uh, we'd both be responsible. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. Tricky one there. All right, let's go to the next one.
1: What determines the transmitting privileges of an amateur station?
0: It's A, the frequency authorized by the frequency coordinator.
1: B, the class of the operator license held by the station licensee.
0: C, the highest class of operator license held by anyone on the premises.
1: D, the class of operator license held by the control operator.
0: All right, and it's my turn to answer? It's your turn. What determines the transmitting privileges of an amateur station? Well, I'm going to say... The frequency authorized by the frequency coordinator? Nope. Uh, the class of operator license held by the station licensee? No, because he's not the one transmitting uh, necessarily. The highest class of operator license held by anyone in the premises? No, not <laughs> unless they're the control operator. Or D, the class of operator license held by the control operator? I'm going to say that's it. I'm going to say I'm gonna it's the, with you. We're going to be in agreement on that one? We are. Okay. And
1: so is the entire chat room.
0: So is the entire chat room. That's correct. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one here. Who may be the control operator of a station communicating through an amateur satellite or space station?
1: A, only an amateur extra class operator.
0: B, a general class licensee or higher licensee who has a satellite operator certification.
1: C, only an amateur extra class operator who is also an AMSAT member.
0: Or D, any amateur whose license privileges allow them to transmit on the satellite uplink frequency.
1: And this was my turn? Yep. And I I can tell you right now that it's not only just extra class that can do this Mm -hmm. for sure. General class or higher, no, because uh, a lot of those uplinks are on uh, VHF and UHF. Yep. Only an amateur extra class, that that tells me no right there. So it's going to be D. That's the only logical answer. Any amateur whose license privileges allow them to transmit on the satellite uplink, uplink frequency.
0: I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say, yeah, it's D, and so does everyone in the chat room. So let's see. All right. That's correct. Another one.
1: When, under normal circumstances, may a technician class licensee be the control operator of a station operating in an exclusive extra class operator segment of the amateur bands?
0: It's A at no time.
1: B, when operating a special event station.
0: C, as part of a multi-operator contest team.
1: Or D, when using a club station whose trustee is an extra class operator licensee.
0: Uh, It's kind of tricky. Is it my turn? It's your turn. Is it my turn under what circumstances may a technician class licensee be the control operator? I think that's the key right Mm -hmm. there. Of a station operating in an exclusive extra class operator segment of the amateur bands. A, at no time. I'm going to say that's it, but let's look at the others. Mm-hmm. B, when operating a special event station, nothing to do with it. Yeah. C, as part of a multi operator contest team. Now, contesters don't, wouldn't get any special privileges over anyone else. No. Or D, when using a club station whose trustee is an extra class. Operator, licensee. Well, it doesn't even say if, if the guy was present, just that the trustee was an extra class. Mm-hmm. But the, the key here, I think, is control operator. When can that technician be a control operator? In the extra portion of the band? Hey, at no time.
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with that.
0: Yep. And it looks like everybody in the chat room does, too. Yeah. Hey, we're all right. All right. We're all right. Everybody drink. (laughs) Okay. What is an amateur station control point?
1: A, the location of the station's transmitting
0: antenna. B, the location of the station's transmitting apparatus, (laughs) which would mean like transmitter.
1: Yeah. C, the location at which the control operator function is performed.
0: Or D, the mailing address of the station licensee.
1: Okay, so this is my turn. I'm yep. going to go ahead and scratch D right now. That's not even a viable option.
0: No. No, I don't think so.
1: Okay. Uh C sounds like it. B, the location of station transmitting apparatus. Nope. It could it could be not located right there. This
0: I'm we're going with, about control point, right?
1: Yeah, I'm going Yeah. I'm
0: going to go with C the location at which the control operator function is performed. Well, that makes sense. It would be the control point. Mm-hmm. So let's see. And it could. Yep. Yeah, you're correct. Good. And it looks like uh, just about everyone in the chat room was correct on that one, too. So.
1: And yes, Frank, duh, is a good answer.
0: Yes. no. <laughs> uh, that's always a good answer. It
1: is. It fits so many occasions.
0: Yeah. Well, that's our next question here, Tommy.
1: Okay. Under what type of control do APRS network digipeters operate?
0: A, automatic. B, remote. C, local. Or D, manual. And it's my turn to answer. Under what type of control do APRS network digipeters operate? Well, I think the A in APRS means automatic. Yeah? Uh, automatic Position Reporting Service. Is that is that what it is? That sounds this, good to me. Sounds close anyway, doesn't it? So it's not going to be manual because it's automatic. It's not going to be local because um, no one's really there operating it. It's not going to be remote because no one's operating it. It can only be A. Automatic.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, too.
0: Uh, uh, everybody in the chat room does, too, so let's Must be see. right. Must be right. All right. There we go. Everybody drink. One more down. Next question. What type of control is being used when the control operator is at the control point?
1: A, radio control.
0: B, unattended control. C, automatic control. Or D, local control.
1: Okay, so let's go ahead. A, radio control. That uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. B, unattended. It says he's at the control point, so that can't be it. C, automatic. That's that's more like uh, APRS or repeater type things. Yeah. So it's got to be D, local control.
0: Local control. Well, chat room agrees with you. It's D, local control. All right. That's all the questions we got tonight on control of amateur radio stations. So let's get a a few fun questions in here. Okay. And I think we'll talk about batteries. Those were fun. Those were fun, but these were funner. More funner? More funner. First question.
1: How much voltage does a mobile transceiver
0: usually require? A, about 12 volts. B, about 30 volts. C, about 120 volts. Or D, about 240 volts. Uh, it's my turn?
1: It is your turn.
0: Well, all right, it's a mobile transceiver, so D, about 240 volts. That's not correct. My yeah. car doesn't have 240 volts. About 120, no, I do have an inverter in there, but you don't need that for a mobile transceiver. About 30 volts, that's just an oddball voltage, mm mm-hmm. you know? So A about twelve volts. Hey, that's what my car battery is. I think they would make radios to yeah, work at twelve volts. That's the only volts. one that really
1: makes any sense there.
0: That that is only one, and uh, and that's what everybody in the chat room is saying, except for Ralph, and he's saying it's thirteen point eight. And Ralph, I think you're correct, but it's but, about twelve volts. It does volts. say about. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. It's A. Right. Number A. Number A. All right, let's go on to the next one. Which of the following battery types is not rechargeable?
1: A, nickel cadmium.
0: B, carbon zinc. C, lead acid. D, lithium ion.
1: Which of the following battery types is not rechargeable? I know nickel cadmium or NICAD is rechargeable. Yep. Carbon zinc, I don't know that I've ever even heard of that. Lead acid is what's in my car, and it's rechargeable. And lithium ion is what pretty much everything under the sun anymore runs off of. And I know they're rechargeable. So the answer is going to be B, number B, carbon zinc.
0: Yep. I think you're correct on that. Everybody in the chat room thinks you're correct on that. Let's see. The answer is B, carbon zinc. Right. And carbon zinc... I think that's the old old school um, D cell, or oh, really? Well, isn't carbon. that what they are?
1: Yeah, I think they did have carbon.
0: Mhm. They did.
1: Yeah. Some of those p- from the pictures I had from the lesson earlier.
0: Mhm. So carbon zinc can't recharge it, although at one point there were uh, some companies selling rechargers for those old carbon zinc batteries. Oh back yeah. You could find them back in the 60s or 70s. It didn't do anything. But.
1: I had an alkaline recharger one time, I'm supposed to recharge alkaline batteries a few times.
0: Yeah. Did it work? No, not well, really.
1: It. It not, it not so great.
0: Yeah. Which of the following battery types is rechargeable?
1: A. Nickel metal hydride.
0: B. Lithium ion.
1: C. Lead acid gel cell.
0: Or D. All of these choices are correct. Well, yeah, it's D. It's got to be. I mean, we know nickel metal hydride is rechargeable. Yeah. And we know lithium ion is rechargeable. Yeah. And we know lead acid batteries are rechargeable. So it's D. Everybody in the chat room says it's D. And it is D. All yeah. of these are correct.
1: Yep. All
0: right. And we rechargeable got...
1: Rechargeable batteries are like... A- like amazing. The technology is amazing.
0: There's particularly the new ones that have lithium in them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where should the negative return connection of a mobile transceiver power cable be connected?
0: A. At the battery or engine block ground strap. B. At the antenna mount. C. To any metal part of the vehicle. Or D. Through the transceiver's
1: mounting bracket. Well, I
0: think it's your turn.
1: Okay. I think we got kind of mixed up, but that's fine. I think we did. Yeah. It's okay. Um, D through the transceiver's mounting bracket. I don't really recommend that. Yeah. C to any metal part of the vehicle. That. Theoretically, that would probably.
0: I mean, it would power work. it up. Uh huh. Either one of those would power it up. B,
1: at the antenna mount. I wouldn't recommend that either. <laughs> no. And or A at the battery or engine block ground strap. That looks like the ideal choice right there. I'm going A.
0: All right. Everybody in the chat room is going along with you. You're correct. All right. At the battery or engine block ground strap. Yeah, that, that's the way you want to do it. You can just ground it right wherever your radio is mounted, but it's just. Yeah, it's, it, not, the it's not the best ground. Yeah, so. not the best ground at all. Well, that's all the questions for tonight. We got through them and had a little fun with it. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Talked about batteries and lemons.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed going back and uh, and kind of reviewing these.
0: Yeah, it is, it is good because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have forgot a few of these things.
1: Well, I obviously forgot a few of them. Yeah. And no, it, I missed one tonight. A it, tricky one.
0: Really helps when you got this sheet here too that has all the answers on it. You know? Yeah,
1: and I don't have one of those sheets over here, no, you so. Don't.
0: <laughs> so let's go to the chat room for a few minutes and uh, see what's going on before we close the show out. Okay.
1: Oh, well, I see. is a bunch of d d d d d a a a a a. Yeah. Duh. D- <laughs> <laughs> Tommy the song and dance man. That's me.
0: That's him. Well, let's see. Plastic and carbon fibers are not good conductors. No. Neither one of them are. Carbon fiber is super conductive. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, Carbon fiber? Yeah. I I don't know. I didn't think it was, but... uh, I could be wrong on that.
1: Carbon corv- is conductive?
0: Yeah, but it's not superconductive, is it? It's got some resistance to it. Yeah. I don't I don't know about uh, carbon fibers. Well, no, fiberglass isn't. KB7YYY says, no, it's not. Yeah.
1: yeah. Frank says you get noise that way, and I think he's talking about if you were to ground to the chassis somewhere of the car. Yeah. Which, that's true, because well, anything, yeah. that's, anything that's going to generate that noise, that's, it's just going to, you're going to yeah. pick it up. Whatever's closest to it is probably going to be stronger, I would imagine.
0: Let's see. Uh, John w one on and l says it's extremely conductive, and I think he must be talking about carbon fibers. Yeah. So, uh, but
1: John says he didn't mean it was a
0: superconductor.
1: He just meant it was a conductor.
0: Yeah. Uh, K7MD Mark says So, what have you learned about the Sky Pi 40 and the Raspberry Pi 2, George? Got my kit bill last night to the Toroids. I assume he means that he got up to winding the the Toroids. Well, what I think, I think it was super cool, man. Yeah. I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, that was pretty awesome.
0: What he's talking about there is in the episode of Amateur Logic 77, the last episode, mm-hmm. I built that uh, little SkyPi 40 kit that just plugged on to a Raspberry Pi. And it was, um, well, it was a digital transmitter. You could send CW with it. You could send Ready with it. Uh, you could send uh, Whisper. Uh, WSPR, mm-hmm. or you could send just practically any mode that somebody wrote the software for. It's a really cool kit, and, uh, you know, I don't know that we talked about it, but there, what makes it so cool, if you look at that little board, that's really just an amplifier and some filtering. Mm-hmm. And uh, some little switching circuits so you could hook a CW paddle to it.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you remember the um, the Pi FM project? Yeah, I do. Have we yeah, talked yeah. about this before? Not on the show. Okay. So the Pi FM was a, a little project where basically you, you just ran software on the Raspberry Pi, and it switched on and off one of the uh, GPIO ports on it at a... Whatever rate you specified, they, the code was written to work in the FM broadcast band, and so it would switch it on. Say if we we're at ninety nine point one megahertz, it would switch it on and off at that frequency. But they'd do a little bit of um, frequency modulation, so that they would shift the frequency slightly with modulation, so that you know you could listen to it on an FM radio. Mm-hmm. Basically, taking t- a Raspberry Pi, that's what the Sky Pi is. They're using that code from the Pi FM oh. project. And that's how they're generating the frequency and the modulation and everything that's being transmitted.
1: Oh, and then they're just putting that into a 1-watt amplifier. Yeah,
0: the Sky Pi is a 1-watt amplifier and a low-pass filter. And so uh, that's pretty neat. And that's, yeah. that's why I had to borrow that uh, Raspberry Pi Model B Plus from you. Yeah. But- because the Sky Pi uh, source code would not run... On a Raspberry Pi two. Oh, oh yeah. And they had it had not been modified at that point where it would. It might now. I, I don't know. But so
1: what was the problem with the GPIO?
0: Um, something to do with the memory changes in the uh, Raspberry Pi two hmm. that uh, wouldn't allow that code to run. So I don't know if they if they've done that yet or not. Got that straightened Interesting. out. Interesting. Uh,
1: Nevertheless, it's a pretty neat
0: project. It's a pretty neat project. So essentially. You could do that with nothing but a Raspberry Pi. You just you just wouldn't have enough power to do anything. Right. Uh, let's see what else is going on in there. I know I saw something else about the uh, carbon fiber.
1: I will say that Raspberry Pi 2 is pretty impressive, though, the speed of it. Have you done much with yours?
0: I have not. Uh, I've done a little bit with it. Yeah. It's it's definitely faster than uh, yeah. I've never had a B plus. All I had was a, the regular model Bs. Mm-hmm. It's way faster than that. Oh yeah. It's almost fast enough I could use it for uh, for a lightweight desktop computer.
1: Yeah. That's how I've actually done that with mine. It Is just it? sits over there hooked up to an extra monitor. Yeah. And every once in a while I just kind of fiddle
0: around with it. Hmm. Yeah, you could. Um, you could use it for web browsing. It's it's not um not as fast as my desktop, but the the original Model B was kinda of painfully slow. Yeah. And much. this one's this one's not. It's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty responsive. Decent. Yeah. And uh
1: That's about all we got in there.
0: Yeah, you know, John said he didn't mean to say that um carbon fiber was a superconductor. But it uh Yeah were a conductor, yeah. How long should my counterpoise be for my HF vertical screwdriver antenna? And that's from Real Matt. And I wonder if that's the same guy. I don't remember now. Someone posted uh, in one of the forums a screwdriver antenna. It was actually a little Tar hill 2, and they put a counterpoise on it. Mm-hmm. And they had mounted it on a um, pole, and it had some radials off of, I think, a 2-meter antenna. And I don't know if this is the same guy or not. Uh it could be but um from the photo I saw no, they they need to be much longer than that. Um, I and I I'm not I'm not real sure about this. Maybe someone in the chat room he can answer. He says it's
1: the same guy. Yeah. Okay. Frank asked what band that also
0: that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh on um on a typical vertical there there are specific requirements for the length of of the radials. Or yeah, the, there,
1: there's a calculation. Yeah, to to do it right, I don't remember it off the top of my head.
0: Um, yeah, Frank says it's a quarter wave for the band you were on, and yeah, that's what I was thinking. It does seem kind of strange though that uh, your ground radials would be way longer than your antenna, but I think that is correct for the best uh, result. I mean, you could probably get the screwdriver to with something less, but it probably wouldn't radiate as good. Mm-hmm. So you'll need, oh gee, um, you'd need a, a number of different radials of different lengths for all the bands you could work with a screwdriver. Uh, John says um, you do quarter wave and at least 30. Yeah, 30 is good. People get by with less. I mean, people have done it with two. I I don't think it's as good. Mm -hmm. You know, for an AM broadcast station, um, they do 120 radials around the tower. Yeah, all buried underground. If you bury the radials now, the length is not as critical. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But when they're elevated, it is. And John says they can bend.
1: They can't bend.
0: They can't bend. Oh, that's what he's saying, yeah.
1: Interesting. Now I'm going to have to go look at that up
0: again. Cause it's yeah. been a long time since I already looked at that. Yeah, I actually looked at it uh, a while back because I've got that butternut vertical I've never put up yet. Mm-hmm. And I need to put that thing up.
1: Yeah.
0: I wouldn't mind having a vertical. At yeah. yeah. Frank okay. says as big as you can get. It works on a car, but that's not a quarter wave on some bands, and that's true. Um, and Frank says they have to be straight out, bins don't work, and mm-hmm. that's, that's correct too. Yeah, a car is, um, it's not a quarter wave, but when you've got a solid piece of metal like that, I think it changes things a little bit, but it's compromised too, I mean, you're mm-hmm. doing the best you can. you could, uh, I guess, drag a ground wire behind you, or, or <laughs> a ground radio, but
1: yeah, let me let me know if you're going to be out driving around before you do that, though.
0: <laughs> and uh, Frank says, "Have you had one of those fish eighty-eight forties fell on you?" I have had two of them die on me. I use them all day at work. No, I've only got the one, and I've I haven't really used it hardly.
1: Fish eighty-eight forty.
0: Yeah, remember that little component tester? Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I haven't used it that much, so yeah. mine has not failed.
1: Yeah, mine, mine have not either. I've used it two or three times. Yeah. It's not one of them things you, you use a lot. Yeah. But uh mm-hmm. it, it's good every now and then.
0: It is. It is. Really good for checking transistors mm-hmm. and semiconductors. hmm
1: Or if you're colorblind and you want to check the value of the resistors and stuff. True.
0: True. It would work for that. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need to do that mod on mine. Uh, so it doesn't drain the battery? Yeah. I never did do that.
0: It makes a difference. I mean, you know, I actually measured the current draw. And it yeah, was,
1: so I, I just plug the battery up when I need it right now, and unplug yeah. plug it, but I'd like to do the mod.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Um, we appreciate everyone being here. Uh, in the chat room there, I think most of you are already hams. Uh... I think there's a maybe a few there who are not, but that's okay. I mean this show is for anyone who wants to watch and and anyone needs a refresher yep, yeah. and we appreciate you guys. This is the first time we've really looked at the chat room as we were doing the questions to yeah. to see what everybody was um, you know was guessing there
1: it's- it's kind of interesting actually to do that it is yeah so it'll be interesting to go back and watch the show and see how it uh how it looks in the edit,
0: yeah. We're yeah, that, that. that was fun. We'll have to do that next time. Yeah. Pay a little more attention to it and see yeah, what's going it's on. pretty cool. Uh, VK5 seven uh, 73 from South Australia. 73. 73, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Oh, a couple of things we want to mention before we go, though, don't we?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. That was close.
0: And the first one of them is not that one. <laughs> but that's a good one. <clears throat> that is a good one. Why don't you talk about that one okay. while I look and see if I've got the one while I was George
1: looking While George is looking, <laughs> <laughs> looking for the other one, you can always find us on uh, social networks. We've got a Facebook group that's pretty active, and you've got the address for it on the screen right there. We're on Twitter at AmateurLogic Logic, and we're also on Google+. Plus.
0: We are. And uh, all those groups are great. And you've seen us do stuff with um, that Canadian guy that's, that hangs out there in the chat room a lot, V-E-3-M-I-C. He's down there. He's down there. He's responsible for a lot of the good content on the Google Plus group. Oh, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you should go check that out. The
1: Photoshop pictures are classic. you got to go on there even if you don't do anything, but check those
0: out. Yep. Another thing we want to mention is... We're going to be streaming the next episode of Amateur Logic live from Dayton Hamvention.
1: Yeah, we sure are. That'll be May the 16th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: Eastern Time, and it's going to be from the ICOM booth there, sponsoring us for that. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've been talking back and forth, uh, trying to decide all the details. They're setting up a portion of the ICOM booth at Dayton Hamvention just for Amateur Logic.
1: Yeah, that's going to be kind of interesting. I can't wait to see how it. I can't looks.
0: wait to see it either. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. That's not that long away. Actually, that's like, that's not even a month away. It's Like now, three is weeks it? now, I yeah. think.
1: So pretty close to that.
0: So it's going to be fun. If you're in Dayton, come by the ICOM booth there on Saturday afternoon, and uh, we need a crowd. Yeah, come
1: by and uh, wear your amateur logic shirts and represent if you've got them. Yeah, but. Uh, even if you don't, just come on by. We'd like to meet you. Yeah. Shake your hands and uh, say hi. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's nice to put faces to some of the names you see in the chat room and on the air and everything. So.
0: Mm-hmm. so we're looking forward to seeing some of you there. If you can't be there, though, you can watch it at ICOMAmerica.com.
1: Well, thank Dan for doing the wiki for us. You can always go by and get the show notes from Amateur Logic Ham College, if there are any, uh, to TV slash wiki.
0: Yep. They'll be there after each episode, so uh, thanks for doing that for us, Dan. Well, Tommy, I'm kind of hoarse here, and I'm kind of hungry, too.
1: Yeah, me too, man. How about some lemons?
0: Uh, that You know, that would probably help with this it a little would. bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, 73, guys. 73, see you next time. Time we're doing a, a live episode, whether it's uh, Ham College or Amateur Logic. We always stream live. Uh, <laughs> did I just say something kind of crazy? I think I did.
1: Anyway, uh, moving right along. In 1949, Benjamin Franklin first no. used the term. Yes, he did, too. I swear he did. It was right here it, in black and not, white. It's not
0: 1949. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the chat room says i hey, So it's got to be D,
1: local control.
0: Local control. Well, chat room agrees with you. Let's see. <clears throat> I think maybe... I must have highlighted the wrong one here. Well, I think it would be a nice effect if it actually did something. (laughs) I think it would, too.